0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Destination Linux number 210. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of Sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill, and with me today are the leaders of the tail class on the snowpiercer, Noah, Michael, and Ryan. I, they I, have joined me on the ten mile train. <laughs> yes, we need I knew you up.
1: would
2: Both
3: know that can reference. Explain <laughs> to some of us what the what, what, what don't the intro watch
2: Snowpiercer. Ty- ty-
1: typically, <laughs> typically, uh I am in, I am involved with it, and No is the only one out. I have no idea what's happening right now.
0: Oh, have, Jill, okay. Jill, please
1: tell me you watch Snowpiercer.
0: Oh yes, yeah. Okay, so it, it was it, it was a mo- movie in the the mid two uh, thousands. Right. Um. About the the. Uh, people, uh, they were trying to get rid of global warming and things went awry and we became a frozen planet. And oh. all so, civilization
2: is on a train and yes. new episodes of the TV it's- series start Monday.
0: Are they <laughs> <plastering> <laughs> us? That's interesting
2: timing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what are we going to
2: talk about on this show today, Jill?
0: Okay. So you've heard us talk about Matrix and Mastodon along with many other decentralized services, but what does that actually mean and why does it matter? Well, this week, we're going to deep dive into the various Fediverses to answer these questions. We're also going to cover some recent exciting news from Red Hat, which is guaranteed to make many in the community very, very happy. We will also discuss why Chromium may soon be missing from your distro repository. We also have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. So hop on board this train full of penguins.
2: Nice. <laughs> All right. This week in our community mm-hmm. feedback, it actually comes from our discourse forum. So if you're not a part of that, go check it out. But SBeeb, I think is how you pronounce it, asks, is the opportunity... To fork open source code, a blessing or curse. And so he goes on to say, it seems to me that Linux desktop just can't seem to rise above a glass ceiling of about two to 3% of the total market. This is after decades. Why can't we rise above that glass ceiling? Now I've redacted some of the stuff in here because it was very long post, but ultimately some of the things he goes on to say is there's so much forking of distros that it can be bewildering. Every major distro covers most desktop environments as well calling these spins, remixes, for example, all the Ubuntus, all those permutations, try to cover all the possible bases, but in his opinion, only serve to muddy the water and offering people way too many choices. Humans can famously only remember a running list of five to nine things. And they don't like being overwhelmed with too many things at once. So as much as we all like the ability to fork open source code as it acts as a protection of sorts against foul play, do we also overuse that freedom? and thereby hold ourselves back by stunting our popularity with not a clear enough vision, not clear enough choices in a direction that everyone can unite around. So the community started responding to this in various ways. Some people disagreed, some people agreed, but I wanted to bring it back to the hosts here because this is something that mm-hmm. I've been seeing going around multiple times from influencers within the Linux community talking about this. We need to stop creating distros, start focusing on apps and things like that. What say you all? Michael, let's start with you.
1: Well, I think this is this is an interesting and it's, it's a great question, and that should be discussed on mm-hmm. a big scale, like a much bigger scale, uh, because it's something that we as a community should be wary of. Because for me, I think the answer lies in the middle. It's both a blessing and a curse, and uh, or another way to put it, it's a double-edged sword. So I think it's 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 great to be able to take something that is open source and make it better. In some cases, this even provides like a bulletproof status in terms of like the code, so that it can't be ruined by bad actors. Uh, for example, like uh, take LibreOffice. Uh, when OpenOffice was the go-to open source office suite, it was great as long as Sun Microsystems was taking was in control of it. And then when Oracle took over, they effectively ruined the project, causing a need for a fork. And thanks to the structure of open source mm-hmm. licensing, it was possible for it to be forked and then become LibreOffice. And I think this is a, a testament to the resiliency and bulletproof nature of open source that it offers through this forking system. Uh, but at the same time, the point about too many choices is a very valid one because... Too many di- desktop environments is can be confusing and overwhelming to new users, and even too many distros and options and stuff like that can be overwhelming to those same people. And I, I think it's a it's a fair question, and I think the topic is very important to discuss and break down. So I guess what I'm trying to say is yes, no, maybe, I don't know.
2: All right. Well, maybe Jill has more detailed points on this one. Jill, what are your thoughts when you hear this?
0: That was good, Michael. That was really good. It was kind of where I was going to go too. Yeah. But I do feel that now that that desktop Linux is on more hardware, things we are seeing change. We are seeing the desktop Linux getting more adoption uh, with from the likes of Dell and Lenovo and System 76. That is helping a lot. But, Absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to fork too much because yeah, it does does confuse the community. That's that's a real real thing, definitely. Yeah. And I I think SB you are right. I think we do need to focus more. Maybe not be creating any more distros and just just focus on making several quality, which we are. We are. You know, we've got the Debian, we've got Red Hat, we've got Fedora, and yeah. um, I think we just really need to focus on the main ones.
2: Noah, what are your thoughts?
3: I try to separate what I believe politically from what I believe technologically. So technologically, I do think that code should be open. I think it should be available for people. And I think that you don't really own a product. You're not really purchasing software. You're just kind of borrowing it if the company ultimately controls if and when you can install it. Not that this is necessarily what defines open source from proprietary software, but one of the big advantages of having access to the source code is it, per- it makes it useless to do those things, right? There's no there's nothing stopping, let's say, Blender from implementing a thing that requires a little hardware key that you have to plug into your computer, and then you have to call them and give them a number, and then they read you a magic incantation back, and then you punch that in, then, okay, now you can use the software, right? There's nothing stopping them from coding that, but there's also nothing stopping me from from calling up our developer at Altispeed and saying, Hey, I need you to fork this project. And I need you to take that bit of code out. So it doesn't require all that. And then he can do that. Right? So there's no point in selling a key. You're better off just selling support on top of that or providing real value back to the person who's going to use your software. So, Yes, it is true that every time we start to make some progress on the Linux desktop, whatever the cool thing is just immediately gets ported to Windows and Mac. And yes, that can be very frustrating. And yes, it does kind of create Mm -hmm. this artificial glass ceiling because uh, OBS takes off. Finally, Linux is going to take off. This is fantastic. It's only available for Linux right now. This is really great. Oh, wait, no. Then they make the ports for Windows Mac and then it becomes all one thing. And then then and, and now it it is the go to piece of streaming software, but it really doesn't point people back to Linux. It has, however, pointed people back to open source. I go into a lot of businesses and visit with people. And even five, seven years ago, if you walked into a business, there were a lot of people that had never heard of open source and had never thought about the software licensing that came uh, with the software. But these days, especially in larger organizations, you get CTOs asking, what's the vendor lock-in look like for that? Uh, What's the data exportability of of that system? They're asking those questions because one, Previous companies have incorporated that into their sales strategy saying, Hey, we don't, you're not locked into us. We don't have a vendor lock in thing. We do make it easy to get your data in and out. And here are some of the things that you should look at when you're evaluating and then insert, you know, CRM, EMR, whatever it is. Do do, do bad things happen because the code is open? Of course they do. Of course there are people that are going to take, hey, those crazy little people over there in the 8% world, look at that. They find they have another winner. Great. Let's pull that over here into the environment we're already comfortable with. Great. Back to work. Right. Yes, that happens. All the time. Yes, it causes a lot of us to want to bang our faces into brick walls sometimes because it's frustrating. But <laughs> at the same time, those, the, the conversation is being had where those people start looking they go, man. Blender, VLC, Firefox, uh, uh, you know, all FFmpeg, all of the OBS, all of these really great programs are coming out of this open source thing in this open source world. And so now you see platforms that aren't even open source; they're proprietary platforms. Um, that they, we were working with an animation studio, and they use a software called Daz 3D. Only runs Oh yes, this. know that and, well. <laughs> but yeah, but when you go to Daz 3D, one of the big things that their salespeople talks about is their commitment to open source. Now they don't understand the term open source because yes. they use it as basically like an, what, they, what they mean to say is open ecosystem. If you have that software and everybody else has that software, then you can exchange you know art within that ecosystem. Um, but if you go to their site and you can scroll to the bottom, they list it under open source and they talk about how they can bridge and export to all of these different software uh, things and they they consider that open source. But the the the, the <laughs> philosophy though and the and the 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 mentality of hey you don't get to just write code and charge me an arbitrary amount of money and then choose what to do if you don't let me have the freedom to do what i want with that thing then i'm not going to use your product i'll go over use this one and companies are getting hip to that so that i think is a good thing yeah so Um, while
2: the desktop itself is two to three percent of the total market and people hang on that and say when you look at open source as a whole its popularity the growth of it i think it starts to swing back around so you can't just look at one metric and say well Lynx desktop's been stuck at this two to three percent mark When you look at open source as a whole, I agree with, you know, I've seen the same thing. I've worked in, you know, the telecom industry for over 20 years. Open source was never really mentioned. Stuff existed, but it was really never mentioned. Now it's a Mm -hmm. part of the planning of companies with 40, 50,000 people figuring out, do we adopt this open source thing? So when you look at it from that perspective, the hope is, of course, you want to get that desktop growth in there at some point. But at least we're starting to get people to take open source seriously. So much so
0: exactly.
2: that they're using it as a marketing term, even incorrectly, just to yes. say, hey, I've got something open source out here uh, as part of a sales pitch to people, <laughs> which, um, you know, hopefully we can correct that uh, if you're in I, any I, you of know, those I, meetings and be like, stop because r- you're not respectfully, really.
3: Respectfully, I think it's probably a little bit more than a, than a sales pitch. I, th- I think I, I do believe that the that the the mentality And the perception is changing. People are moving that direction. They're becoming hip to it. And they're starting to ask those questions. So uh,
0: yeah, we're saying the same
2: thing. I'm just saying companies are using it as a marketing term. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And they don't understand it.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Some
2: don't.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. We want you to fill it with some coffee, just like I have here. Sit down at your nearest stool and send an email to commons at destinationlinux.org. If you want to be part of the community discussion like this one, then join the DLN forms by going to DLNform.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean yeah. recently announced Yay. their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. No, it sounds like you're reading an ad read. Well, I kind of am. So I'll tell you what that means. What that means is mm-hmm. you don't have to think <laughs> about what it's how many meetings you're going to have to sit through and how many whiteboards you're going to have to put up there to explain how you can take this idea that you have, that you want to move forward, and then hand it to your dev team. and Then that goes to the DevOps team. And then eventually that goes into the staging. And then once that's Done. Then that goes over to deployment and production. Then those guys will handle, and our server guys will. Be, no, none of that. You you write your code, you put it up on GitHub, you log into DigitalOcean, you create an account. We give you the free server because you listen to Destination Linux, and then they build your, your app. That's it. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you're going to get started for free. Better than for free, because we're going to give you money. We're going to put money in your pocket to do this. You can do that by going to do.co slash DLN. That's do.co slash DLN. That tells DigitalOcean that, hey, one, I listen to Destination Linux and I learn a lot. Two, we really, really appreciate you helping up, helping them help me get this $100 credit so I can use your really fantastic service and spin my app up in five minutes or less. And I want to get started with that $100 credit. So I went to do.co slash DLN and a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week of Destination Linux.
0: Okay, we have a really deep discussion to do now. What is the Fediverse and why does it matter? And me and Michael and Ryan and Noah are going to let you know all the details. But first, let me set the stage. So to explain the Fediverse, let's first define services that don't use the Fediverse, which is the vast majority of services that the general public uses today, such as Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or services like Telegram. And the common thread between these services is they use central servers that are owned and operated by a single corporation. And that's not always good.
2: <laughs> as we've seen from Facebook. Yes,
0: definitely. Yeah. And uh, their goal in general is to grow as big as possible, creating entire global communities and look in, in their user base to that single platform. This means they get to decide everything from privacy policy through to the content that can or cannot be posted. Mm, not good. <laughs> they have the ability to take away your entire means of communication with one ill-informed moderation decision. And so with, with the service that uses the Fediverse, anyone can create their own instance. So all instances are moderated and controlled by the community.
2: This is something that I hear commonly come up, and I did a video on this this week just to kind of break this down, is people are under the impression that if you join one of these decentralized platforms, let's say that utilizes a Fediverse, that that means there's complete and utter freedom. There's no moderation. People can say whatever they want, and certain Mm -hmm. groups or other things that they may not want to be affiliated or know can overtake those. And that's actually the furthest thing from the truth. because A good tool in the Fediverse like Mastodon provides ample moderation capabilities. And in fact, when you look at the size of Facebook, I was looking at some numbers. It's probably bigger than this, but it was somewhere around four to 500 million posts a day hit the platform. Mm. 300 million pictures a day are uploaded. There isn't enough AI And there isn't enough moderators you could hire to properly be able to manage that amount of data. And of course, there are many things we could talk about Facebook like we have in the past, about the privacy and security issues it represents, but just the moderation standpoint. Mm -hmm. Nearly impossible. Not nearly impossible. It is right now with our current technology. When you look at a Fediverse, everything can still communicate with each other. So you still can have this mass community. You don't have to say, well, This Fediverse can't talk to this this tool over here in this Fediverse. Everything connects. We have these common protocols. But the cool thing is each individual community sets up its moderation standards. So everyone has, you, you now have a small community able to moderate and be involved in it versus trying to moderate all hundreds of millions of users out there on the Fediverse platforms. And to me, when I hear people say that the moderation and things don't exist in these platforms, to me, it's not. Only does it exist, but it's far superior Mm -hmm. way of moderation than what's out there.
1: It even allows for the user to have moderation on their own side. So you have the admin can do moderation on the server of their own instance. Sure. Then they have the, the ability to block other services that are known for having bad actors and stuff like that. And they can block that out and moderate those. But it also means that the user on those services can they can moderate their own access to things. So if they don't want to, if, if the, the instance they are on does not block a particular server, you can. You can block it for your own purposes so you don't have to deal with it even if the the server you're on doesn't care. So it gives you not only an option for moderating on the global scale of the federation, it also allows you to do it on an individual level, which is just awesome.
2: Absolutely. Because there are things that people don't want to see. I may not want, I may want to join an instance and I don't want to see politics. I don't want to see what other people are talking about in politics. I right, just want football. to know Linux stuff or football and <laughs> sports. And I have that ability, I have that control within these services. We're going to discuss some of these services that you can use, but because of the the moderation tools and the capabilities of connecting or deconnecting from a specific instance that you want to hear from, I have the ability to own that. To me, it's the perfect balance between freedom of speech. Right. And also making sure that you have control of what you see and what you engage with. It's it's the best answer that we have right now to those problems in my mind.
3: It, and actually, Ryan, I would take that one step further and say it is the only sustainable answer long term. The reality is this. If two people want to engage in a dialogue, no matter how much maybe nobody else on the entire planet Earth wants to engage in that particular dialogue, and they don't even want to see that dialogue occur. But if two people want to have that dialogue, those two people, A, should be able to do that because that, that's the internet, right? That's that's your freedom of choice to make that decision. That's why we believe so strongly in, in freedom of speech in most countries around the world. So two people should be able to do that. Moderation comes in, whereas the things that I, basically content filtering, what I don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And I think if we called it content filtering instead uh, and, ref, and 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 put the onus on the end user to filter the content that comes to their machine rather than constantly try and push it up to the server operator, constantly try and push it up towards the organization, constantly try to push it up to this idea that, Hey, somebody should be in this room and make sure that these people can't say these things or, 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 or have those conversations near me. Now, certainly in certain circumstances, like you said, you may get to a point where you say, hey. We are trying to set up a server, and we're putting our costs, and we're we're maintaining this, and, and there's a lot of effort that goes into that. I don't want to do that for any other reason than supporting technology, because that's that's why we're doing this, and that's perfectly valid as well. But I I think, and we watched this conversation kind of unfold when uh, when the used wanted to, um, wanted to basically say, hey, we should you you platforms basically have to be held accountable for the for the stuff they have you know matrix and others have come up and said hey um that's really not an effective way to moderate a, a community uh filters are a much better way to moderate a community but you have to be okay with saying this is what I want to expose myself to and this is the kind of conversations and kind of collections and kind of groups and kind of uh content I want to be engaged in and I'm fine with other people having that same choice
2: and when we invest in products like this it, it's it's so important that we understand the the speech when we talk about companies right now reacting to freedom of speech and things, and and basically taking people off platforms based on what they said. A lot of that's mob mentality, right? So a company mm, yeah. doesn't want to be associated with certain content. So the best option they can come up with is, well, we're just going to remove it entirely. Anybody that says yep. anything related to X Y Z, it gets yep. it's gone. With the Fediverse, it fixes this mob mentality thing because while I may in my particular server not want to hear that stuff and disconnect myself. Somebody who does that, we're not taking away that person's ability to speak or those people's ability to have it. I may take away my ability because I don't want to hear it, but they still have a platform, whereas the mob mentality can control what happens with these big corporations along with the privacy, along with the ads, along with all the other problems that come with these centralized tools that we're using. And that's why I think this is so important. But to break it down further, the Fediverse, Noah, you you were really passionate about this. It's not just one Fediverse out there. What we're really talking mm-hmm. about is protocols
3: collection of servers right exactly the, you know the the the, the um, and this is i think what's difficult for people to kind of grasp is this idea that you don't get to tell other people what to do on the internet and they don't get to tell you what to do on the internet and you can either engage with those people or you can choose not to but that's what the end of where your choice begins and ends and a lot of people are going to struggle with that but the truth is that in a day of in a day and age of an in encryption And a day and age of internet where I can send IP packets that are encrypted from any location to any other location, it's virtually impossible for you to stop two people from having a conversation or engaging with one another. And so what the... Where that, what that eventually turns into is there's going to be collections of people that are going to say, hey, we want to share content with this select group of people, but no one else. And there's going to be other people that are going to say, hey, I want to interact with everybody. I don't really care who it is. And so I'm wide open. And so what you're going to have is Little tiny collections of servers that speak the same protocol—they're able to talk to each other—as well as very large infrastructures based on a, a shared technology resource. So, for example, Matrix—if you don't specify who you're federating with—it's going to federate to everyone. Same thing with ActivityPub—if you don't specify which servers you want to limit that federation with—it's going to—it's going to federate to everybody. And so you have—you have to make those individual choices. But what that means is you may join a collection of servers and find out. That that isn't access to everything that's out there. It's only access to a, a, a subset. And that's okay. That's good. That allows individuals to kind of form the, you know, the, the tribes that they want to that they want to form um, without hindrance.
2: I think the best example mm-hmm. to explain how federated networks work is to compare it to email. Today, Noah yes. signs up yeah, for a proton mail account and he wants to send an email to me, but I'm not on Proton Mail. I'm on Tutanota. And But he knows he could still send that email to me. I'm still going to receive his email. I'm still going to be be able to read it. And I can send back an email to him, even though we're on two completely different services. And to me, that explains the Fediverse very well. As we created these common protocols, you have things like Matrix, uh, O-Status, ActivityPub, Diaspora, that connects all of these services so that no matter which part I'm on, what server instance that I'm on, I still have the ability to communicate across, which is just, it's beautiful. Almost yeah. when you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think actually, in a way, that the, the 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 connection between the different servers is really cool. But it's it's more than that because the the Fediverse. There's multiple Fediverses as we've talked about because the different protocols kind of separated in that sense. But there's also really cool things that the instances of the Fediverse can allow one instance to another instance, but it could also have a one completely separate type of software to another type of software. So for example, yes. one of my, fa- my favorite examples is so cool that you can respond to PeerTube uh, videos as a comment on Mastodon. So you can respond to, Mm -hmm. like when you respond to a a post from a Mastodon uh, instance, it can be displayed as a regular comment on the PeerTube video. And that is a very cool thing. So it means you don't have to have an account on that PeerTube instance in order to comment on that video. And that is one of the other, I think one of the most powerful things about the Fediverse concept is that it's not just server to server, it's type service to other type of service. All sorts of things can be interconnected.
2: So let's talk about some of these services so that people know what they can go out there and utilize. You have Mastodon. This would be the equivalent of like a Twitter to most yep. people. They they kind of compare it to that. You have PeerTube, which is a competitor to say, I won't say competitor, but an alternative to say YouTube. Right. You have Diaspora, which is more like a Facebook you have pixel fed, Write freely and matrix and element which i know noah doesn't know anything about matrix or element but can you tell uh, me more i haven't heard <laughs> of it <that. laughs> uh, right. something that that noah is extraordinarily passionate about and and rightfully so being in the matrix destination linux crew recently has moved to our own instance internally and mm-hmm. utilizing it all this week you know you can see why noah is so passionate about it our ability to communicate with one another effectively through the show and everything we're doing across and and even bring Noah into that even though he's in his own fediverse right he he can still contact us he can still
3: join our rooms we can still hang out and chat so, so no matter where everybody's not, at, not to, we're connected. not to not to slide over that. Like so, I we started with Linux Delta, the the community instance. Anybody can sign up for an account at linuxdelta.com. And at the beginning of the year, after evaluating it for a few months, I went. There's no way that this isn't the tool that we use at AltaSpeed. So we contacted Element and said, Hey, we want to purchase a paid subscription for for Altaspeed's Technologies. And of course that that ended up being a third of the price of literally any other communication platform out there. So it was a great it was a great business decision as well as as well as I have. The ability to continue to contact and use the same application and the same workflow and the same chat creation DM all the structures uh, that we had on the community side, but in a smaller scale just for business. Then uh, I, uh, we we'd been talking at Destination Linux. We went to the internal side, went to EMS, said, "Hey, want to host this instance as well?" When when that happens, all of a sudden, I'm able to talk to even from my Speed account, be able to talk to Ryan over at Destination Linux and Michael at Destination Linux. We're getting stuff set up and I'm able to participate in that discussion. I get home at night, I switch over to my personal account. I'm on my kernel Linux account. Again, I'm in the same chats. I'm participating in the same discussion. So it doesn't matter if I'm at work or if I'm at home, wherever it is, whatever the community is, I'm able to participate because all of those instances can talk together.
2: And how powerful this is for a business. So if you're a business, one of the things that constantly struggling struggling with, in fact, in, in some of the companies I've worked for, they have five or six different communication applications you could choose from. You have no idea where you're going to get a meeting from, where you're going to get a chat from. Mm-hmm. You have to keep them all up. Mm-hmm. A lot of them use tons of resources like Slack and other things when they're up there. And there's no consistency because some people prefer to use this particular tool. Some people use this one. They buy a license for this. They buy a license for that. Mm-hmm. In your mind, Noah, you were trying to, I think, solve that for your company by saying, hey, this is the tool we're going to utilize we're going to have one communication platform that not only can I use personally, but I can also use in the business as well and bounce back and forth. So I don't have five apps on my phone, depending on somebody wants to send me a Zoom link. They want to send me a chat and Telegram. They want to send me a chat signal. I'm just going to use Matrix.
3: It You know, a lot of businesses the we, we i would I, I stood back for a second and just thought when as we onboard these businesses what do we do well we log into the admin portal in teams or or g suite or whatever and we create all the users and we set all their passwords and then we print out documents that say here's your username and your password and you need to change it because uh, we hand it out and there's the whole thing and i thought let's see what how that works with element and turns out that the onboarding process if you treat ems just like you treat slack or office 365 or g suite it functions exactly the same. There's one additional piece of information. That's the passphrase for the encryption. Other than that, it works exactly the same as any other work communication tool. It just happens to be one, like you said, where with Slack, you get in there and you build the infrastructure and you build your company and you've been working in here for five, six, seven, eight years, and you've got all the processes down. You You, you just got the flow. And then all of a sudden, thousands of people want to join this room. But wait, shoot. Now, it doesn't scale. So you reach out to Slack and you're like, hey, we have all these thousands of people they want to join. They go, yeah, that's great. Here's a, here's a X amount of thousands of dollars. That's going to cost. Oh, no, now what? Now I can't do this. Well, now, now I'm fragmented. Now I have to have the community on this platform and work is over here. That's never going to happen to AltaSpeed. That's never going to happen to Destination Linux. That's never going to happen with Ask Noah because... Because those tools, the, the thing that we pay for, they don't stop us. EMS doesn't stop you from spinning up a community instance and then talking to those places. So it, it's infinitely expandable. And when other businesses spin up and they start running, then we can talk to them too. So it's just the the, the bigger the system goes, the more the more stable, the more reliable, the better it gets. So when
2: we talk about advantages here, let's go through some. Users are in control of moderation and rules. You get to be an adult again, right? You decide what you see, what you don't. Just like when you're flipping through your television, (laughs) you get to decide what you want to watch, what you don't the news channels you want to watch, the ones you don't, shared open protocols to use across all a variety of different services. So we've talked about social media services. We've talked about video and chat services. We've talked about um, just having you know the, the chat services and things in there. For instance, Matrix has Rocket Chat enablement and things. So you have multiple services that can be covered within these instances. Communities are smaller, be more moderated. Jill, what are some things that you think are advantages for these type of tools?
0: Oh, boy. So, you know, just owning your own internal communications uh, right there. That's (laughs)
2: powerful. That
0: is so powerful in your freedom of speech (laughs) for another. Um, There's so many advantages that it was hard for us to come up with disadvantages, but there are a few. (laughs) (laughs) What are are some of those disadvantages
2: (laughs) in your mind? Like, what what are some that that it needs to work on? Because every tool has disadvantages, right?
0: To me, one of the biggest ones is the learning curve for setup and use yeah. of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Fediverse. Um, It's hard for new users to, to learn how to do this, uh, install the software and validate it with other machines. That, that can be kind of tricky, but I think they're going to get better and better at, um, you know, making that a much easier process, especially since there's going to be, you know, it's going to be adopted more in, on the Internet, which is yeah. really nice. Yeah, the barrier to entry is probably the the yeah. biggest
1: issue, the biggest disadvantage. But it's also getting easier and easier as it goes. Uh, I think another yes. disadvantage would probably be like the not having your personalized data stolen from ads. I mean. That's just who, who Oh yeah, who, who doesn't mm-hmm. want our ads? I know. We we want to give that <laughs> that data to everybody. Come on, let's bring those ads into the Fediverse.
0: I'm I'm kidding, don't do yeah, that. Yeah, that's don't do that. <laughs> I, I wanna
3: I wanna I wanna uh, I wanna I don't wanna skim past the onboarding here because this is something I put a lot of thought into. And if I sat down with the average business owner, And sign them up for Office 365 or sign them up for G Suite, most of them have no clue what to do. They might be able to go and create the users. They probably figure Mm -hmm. that part out. Um, But actually, like setting up the passwords and configuring IMAP and getting everything synced and Azure sync for me, none of that they're going to be able to figure out, right? So they hire an IT company or they have an internal IT person say, hey, we need you to onboard these accounts, right? If I take that process and apply it towards the Fediverse it's no more difficult. It's the exact same thing. S- signing up for something like EMS. And I, I use EMS because it's it's the only example that I'm aware of mm-hmm. where you have a open source product that has federation. And so you can choose to self-host it, or you just go to their site and click up, sign up for a plan like you would with Office 365 or G Suite. So you can start from that model. And, 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 and if you compare EMS's... Uh, service with what you have available to you with office 365 or G suite or any of the other ones proton mail all of them are basically the same it's going to require somebody with some technical know-how to set up now certainly when you start getting into hosting your own servers and setting up your own fediverse and 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 moderation to, and what servers are going to talk to and not of course it's going to take more technical insight but remember we need to compare those people with the people that are working for microsoft teams at microsoft doing their server administration and the development because sure. that's the task you're no longer talking about signing up for a service, you're no longer talking about an end user. Now you're talking about being part of the platform's infrastructure. Right. That's a server administration task.
1: I think you're you're right about the concept yeah. of the business perspective. And I agree completely in terms of like comparing it applies set- to individuals. It's still it's still different because with an individual you don't really have that option to get a, a, you know signing up with a Why? IT team a company to, to to teach you how to do these things because no you, but I'm saying you as an individual you can go over to element.im
3: and click on sign up right.
1: Well, I mean, ElementIO, but anyway, the, the point is, is the that I/O, it's yeah. still not it's still not simple. That's why tutorials exist to explain how to do them. And
3: I, I, so again, I, I I respectfully disagree. How is it not simple? You click it, on you click
1: on to plan, you. It's, on the not simple,
2: it's not simple, but I but <laughs> I agree. When you compare it to something like a Telegram or Signal, where you put your phone number in, you choose your username, and you're done. Right. It's very different than most. Your average users do not understand what am I what am I joining? What service am I joining? What Fediverse am I joining? What's this encryption yeah. thing? What are these mm-hmm. options? Why do I have two? Places so to why did these emojis pop up for no reason? The one, so, one,
1: so one at
3: so a time. So one at a time. So, <laughs> so I went to element.linuxdelta.com. I have two options, sign in or create account. If I click on create account, I have to supply three things, a username, a password, and the email is even optional. So really, I just have to pick a username, pick a password, and click register. That is no more difficult of a sign up process than any other service on the internet. In fact, except for the fact that they Calibram also have to know that this, that
1: instance exists and they have to know how to get to that instance stuff. But that but
3: would be the that but again, so again, you at that point, you're now talking about now you're talking about branding and promotion. So now we're talking about sure. my ability to promote element.linuxdelta.com, the way that Discord promotes theirs. But again, okay, I, just I, I think because, I think we're going on, off into there, the weeds. I we're think... not. Here's no, we're not. And here, here's why. We have to be able to set be, just because. Because federation and open source allows one tool to accomplish the same thing that took seven other proprietary tools to do does not mean that we, that that one tool should get should be compared to any one aspect of the proprietary tools you so we can't so in other words we can't say because you have the ability to host a number of different element instances that it's unclear which one a user should go to to sign up that would be like saying well if discord had open source and people could host multiple discords instead of a real multiple discords not just create multiple little instances within discord.com people could actually do that they would have the exact same problem but because discord doesn't support that feature because it's all under one site that issue doesn't exist so if you want to compare apples to apples then you have to take something like matrix.org and say okay is it any harder to sign up on matrix.org for an element account than it is to sign up on discord? And of course the answer to that is no, well,
1: you don't have to do apples to apple because it's not the same. Like you do, they are different things and it is a disadvantage to have the onboarding structure that it is. And it's, disagree, it's, okay. it's easier to get an account on name, anything else. Uh, you know, and this, and this is not against matrix. This is against most of like the Fediverse has this disadvantage, but that's also part of its advantage you, and you, value could of you having this interconnection. Me, could
3: you explain to me where, where my misunderstanding of where uh, my, where, could you explain to me where my analogy is wrong? If, if I take, let's say matrix.org, cause that is the public facing instance of element, right? If you compare that to let's say discord, can you, can, can you explain to me? How if we if we ignore all of the other instances that are out there for a moment, and we're just comparing Matrix.org to Discord? How is it any harder to click on Try Now and sign because, up for an account with just your? Because username again,
1: you're trying to say apples to apples, and they're different things because of the different instance structure. With with Discord, you have it an account. Doesn't have
3: to be though. Like we could we could ignore all of the other instances, and all we could t- focus on or talk about is Matrix.org, and it would function the same. you would have all of the same benefits of federation, but you wouldn't you wouldn't have to worry about any of those other instances. It would still work
1: the difference you okay have one place to sign up there's multiple differences of, <laughs> of, of like okay one so if you want to do encryption one of the main things about matrix is the encryption D- discord doesn't mm-hmm. have encryption so you can just guarantee right. that's not there but with with, right. Ma- with matrix it's difficult to set up encryption if you don't know how to do it in the first place that's one example that's true uh, but it's no
3: more difficult hold on it's no more difficult to set up than than signal or any other encrypted app
1: well a signal you just put your phone number in and you're done so that, no, that is, that's not true
3: at all. That's not true at all. There's So the so Signal you, uh, syncs up those keys to a master key file, and then that gets redistributed. That's what the QR code scanning thing does uh, right. when you go from one client to the next, which matrix implies. But if, is someone is,
1: if someone is on Signal, is also in your contact a- c- account, they are automatically connected to you on Signal, so they can just connect to yes. you at, at any point. How about we so, don't go
2: down this chain too much, because I don't think it's particularly mm-hmm. interesting to people, and also I think that it's a agree sure. to disagree. I think certain parts are going to be slightly more difficult or we can even say just different than what you may expect from a different service but at the end of the day I think we're all arguing the same thing which is that these are these tools are definitely useful I think they're definitely the future they yes, provide more protection yes. more moderation more capabilities than the Agreed. alternatives to them and that's really what we should be sh- Be talking about. And I I think that while interfaces and the different tools and things that we use to access them, there's always going to be improvements. I'd say that about any application, Mm -hmm. Signal, Discord, any of them out there, where I wish it had this, I wish it had Mm -hmm. that, and they don't. But I think you're more likely to get it in services like this because, for instance, I know that Noah had certain things that he wanted as a company. we get other companies mm-hmm. into the federated services, guess what they're going to do? Companies have money and they need this fix because it makes the money to fix it. So they're mm-hmm. going to fund these projects. They're going to get mm-hmm. it in there, and then we, as the users, get the benefit as well from the features that they pull in. Which is what makes the Fediverse such an awesome Fediverses, I should say, such an awesome concept. There are other decentralized tools out there, such mm-hmm. as library and d-tube that use things like the blockchain and of course BitTorrent and things out there so there are other options for decentralization i just think fediverse is probably my favorite yep. right now
1: i like yeah. the fediverse concept just like mm-hmm. the decentralized thing is awesome but there's like there's kind of sometimes the the blockchain style of de- uh, the decentralization still has a little bit of a centralization so it's like a it's decentralized in itself but The Fediverse is decentralized completely. So it doesn't matter what service it is, what server it is, you can Mm -hmm. connect everything, like the Write Freely app, which is kind of like a blogging system that you can make comments on, or you can like I don't even think they have a registration thing. You use another account to write on it. And that is just a really cool thing. And you also have like Pixel Fed, which is like an Instagram style of Fediverse stuff. So all of these different Things can interconnect with each other, provided that they're using something like ActivityPub or another protocol that is similar. And I think that is the the best point that you're saying is that the Fediverse as a structure or the Fediverse as a concept is the powerful aspect of it is this interconnection stuff. But also at the same time, the control that the user has for what they see, what they use on the Fediverse. And I think that having this... This, uh, the moderation available is people. When they say there's no moderation, there's more so than you could possibly need, and that is what makes the Fediverse fantastic. Having the Fediverse control, become an adult again. <laughs> that yes, that's the new slogan. For, yep, we've coined it. That is the new slogan.
0: <laughs> yes, here at Destination Linux, we are on the Fediverse Snowpiercer train.
1: <laughs> there you go. Way to bring it back, Joe.
0: So,
3: are, are we done with the topic?
1: Yeah, uh, unless you have, bo- else bo- there. you have something. You oh, have something else.
3: No, for sure. no. no. I, well, I, here, I just want to finish the conversation. Then, if you want to include it, you can. If you don't, that's fine. But can, so, but anyway, is there? Am I missing something, Michael, or
1: or do we just disagree? Hey, everyone. Sorry for cutting the section short, but there was just so much content this week. That We we didn't have room for all of it, so unfortunately I had to uh, cut this out. So if you'd like to find out what I said in response to Noah, as well as the rest of the conversation we had in the uh, patron post show. In fact, in the patron post show, we sort of had a battle of uh, Noah versus Michael, and the announcer for it was Ryan, and there was this, there was referees and all sorts of stuff. It was it was an interesting conversation. It wasn't actually a battle, but it was kind of presented in that way, I guess. If you want to check it out, there's a lot of great content on the unedited version. And just become a patron of the Destination Linux podcast to check out the unedited version. I'll have a link in the show notes. You can go on Patreon or sponsors, and I'll have links for both of the, the episodes already available for those who want to watch the unedited version. So be sure to check that out. And uh, again, sorry for cutting it short, but back to the rest of the show this episode of destination linux is sponsored by bitwarden bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust Bitwarden lets you set up things like a PIN to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentication such as master passwords and adding phrases to even uh, fingerprint security. You can do all this to keep your passwords safe. Uh, Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. And you can go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. And Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. You can self-host it if you want to and also in addition to the 100% open source, open source. They do security audits. So yeah, the community can go and check through the code and see if it's great, but they they don't stop there. They go and send it to third-party companies and have them scan scan through it to make sure it is safe as possible. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But there's actually a premium account that is less than $1 per month. That's right, less than $1 per month will get you access to your premium account going to bitwarden.com slash DLN and signing up for that account. And you get stuff like one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, a two-step login with U2, uh, YubiKey, U2F, Duo, and many other services, including priority customer service, and so much more. So if you're like me, you want to show your appreciation to the company of Bitwarden to having that get that premium account because it also shows appreciation for them supporting open source and it shows the appreciation for them supporting the Destination Linux podcast. So check that out at bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux.
3: In the news this week, RHEL has expanded their free offering. So as you may remember, a few weeks ago, Red Hat announced that they were making some major changes to CentOS Linux. And essentially what they were doing was CentOS is going to ride one point release ahead of where RHEL proper rides. And the idea behind that is that Changes coming down the pipe can be tested in rel, and all the server administrators can go, yep, that's good. And then it pushes to Red Hat and then it's fine. Now, a lot of people in the community were very upset with this because th- there was a certain amount of mom took away the free cookie jar and those people, <laughs> I don't have time. But, but um, there was a legitimate portion of the community that said, I like cookies. Hey, Red Hat, um, you know, Canonical has the most deployment in the cloud with Ubuntu and CentOS was finally starting to kind of climb the ladder because people were excited that you could go from CentOS to Red Hat and you kind of killed the golden goose there. So people were a little upset. And, um, and, <laughs> and what happened was within one week, within one week, Rocky Linux came up and said, hey, I, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna do the same thing. We're going to have another rebrand of Red Hat. And uh, Cloud Linux did the same thing. There's a couple other ones. Um, a lot of people have come back and said, hey, we will just recreate CentOS. Well, after listening to the community feedback, uh, Red Hat came back and said, we're gonna change things up a little bit. And so the team is expanding um what they are offering so previously you used to have to have a red hat developer license and red hat be part of the red hat developer program and that allowed you to test a red hat uh, installation to see how things worked of course if you wanted to move it into production then you needed to purchase an actual license well red hat now is expanding that program you can you actually the details of which i should mention are we we had brian Exobrand came on to the uh, exo excuse me came on to ask noah uh this week to actually break the news for us and say hey this is what's happening at Red Hat. And so I invite you to go check out that episode at podcast.asknoashow.com. But what what the the, the the synopsis of what he explains is they're going to allow individuals to sign up for an account that will allow you to use up to 16 servers with a rel proper subscription. In production. So that means that you as an individual can spin up up to 16 servers, run it in your business, run it in your home, let your kids run it, run it for a friend or a family member, whatever you want. Okay,
2: fine, Noah. But what's really going to happen is they're going to harass me and try to upsell me and all this other stuff as soon as I sign up, right?
3: So if you want to upgrade mm. to a supported Rel subscription, it, it, it will be an easy process to do that. But no, they want individuals to play and test. So no, you're not going to be contacted. You're not going to be harassed.
1: Nicely done. You know, um,
3: really, really <laughs> what they're looking for, what they're trying to do here is... Offer people access to the same code base that you have on Red with the same updates that you had on Red because remember on CentOS you did not get security updates at the same speed that Red Hat got them Red Hat paid subscriptions got them sooner now this isn't a perfect answer for two reasons one is you're still beholden to Red Hat the company and is a legal agreement with Red Hat the company that can change at any time and so that's not ideal because it's not a community controlled operating system anymore it is directly controlled from Red Hat um, additionally because it, it is a 16 limit a 16 machine limit and that licenses follows the individual. It's going to make it almost impossible, not really impossible, but very difficult to use that in any sort of business center, which to be fair is kind of their goal. Um, because if the person, if the person whose name is on the red hat license walks out the door, that license walks with them um and so it, that's going to be a little difficult and then the other thing is of course it's all self-supported so if you want to call for support you're going to have to purchase a regular red hat subscription at at a at a, at a whopping cost of 379 bucks i mean it's not like it's a lot but but yeah they're expanding this program and and i think really what red hat is is focusing on here is they're trying to to reduce the amount of friction it takes to get people on Red Hat and so this is going to allow all sorts of things it's going to allow VPS providers to allow you to spin up Red Hat proper right on like DigitalOcean and Vulture and all those places, assuming they're willing to navigate this license thing that, that Red Hat is setting up. but because you're an individual, you'll be able to assign your own license and get updates. Well,
2: let so, me ask you this No, had they launched this along with the announcement changes in CentOS, would the would the pushback been as fierce Obviously it still doesn't fit every user case, but do you think it would have been as ugly?
3: No, because they would have had a sol- they would have had a solution as to how an individual could access the same code base that they did before. And so mm-hmm. nothing really practically would have changed for a lot of people. So yeah, I think it would have been slightly better. But I, I really believe that what Red Hat should be continued to focus on, I think this is a great start, but what they should continue to focus on is worrying about the lowest friction possible to getting people onto the platform. And I right. I really wouldn't focus so much on limiting how many machines or tying it to individuals or any of those things because the reality is first. First of all, any motivated individual is just going to say, okay, well, John is over at that business. That's, that's, we're going to throw the license under and Frank's over at this one. There's ways to work your way around that, right? People are going to do that anyway. And so the question is, wouldn't it just be better to control that the, or not necessarily control, but at least have influence over that community, the, the, the community spin of that and just say, Hey, you know, here is. XYZ product and it's a rel copy and you get updates a little bit later, but we're going to continue to develop and we're going to continue to maintain it. And you can put it on as many she- machines as you want. It's a much more approachable, I would think much more approachable license schemes to VPS providers and universities and wherever else where they're not having to keep track of who's whose names on that license and what happens if they, le-. right. It just, it seems mm-hmm. like it seems like unnecessary friction. Those, the kind of people that are going to sign up for this program and run and, and deal with the hassle of signing into a specific account for every 16 machines, those are not, those are not the people that are calling Red Hat a few weeks later and saying, hey, you know what we need? 500,000 copies of Red Hat, baby. Let's sign me up and I'll write <laughs> you a check. You know, that's not that guy, right? That's the guy that's at his house being like, you oh, know, you know, I ain't got to do it, you I can get Minecraft server setup. That's that's who you're targeting Yeah, for.
2: Which and, I which and, I love. I love the ability yeah, that I can too. now do a single sign-in into Red Hat and I can take my home servers and play around with RHEL. I think this is so cool up to 16 of my servers and move them up to to rel so may to your point it may not answer everybody's then your wife um, gets
3: 16 yeah exactly when your kids can get 16 16.
2: yeah Yeah. you're right the bigger your family the more licenses you get um also starting around february 1st you can use the expanded red hat developer program to run rel on major public clouds including aws google cloud platform and microsoft azure um so you only pay the usual hosting fees there but your rel copy you don't have to have that license there Either, which I thought was pretty cool. Look, you know what struck me the most out of this article when I read it—that Red Hat listened to its community. Right? It's yeah. all—it's all the people. Nope. It's all the people. It didn't say, you know what? So what? Deal with it. We're a big corporation, makes billions of dollars. We don't need you anyways. They're like, all right, let's figure out something to try to make it close to right. And I—that's what I see from a company, and that makes me very happy because you generally don't see that in in big companies like that very often anymore.
0: Yeah. Remember, it happened with Ubuntu with 32-bit <laughs> when they were going to completely take that away, and they, exactly. they took some of it away, but not all of it. <laughs> so, right. so yeah. we could they took the right amount the away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the,
1: the in terms of like the the, the Red Hat thing, I think that it's it's fair to say that if they had done this when they announced it, it would have been better for them. But I also yeah. think that they, they, this is, I think that they did listen and they, they absolutely listened to the community because they did a survey to find out how many people, uh, what they use CentOS for and Rail for. So they actually have been in, in you know, doing the details with the community engagement stuff. So they have been listening to the community in that sense, but they did already plan to release Rail out to people uh, in a much broader sense with this this free stuff because they talked about it on uh, Destination Linux previous episode when he had, we had Mike McGrath as an inter- for an interview from mm-hmm. Red Hat about this topic and he did mention that they were he going to be it, doing yeah. stuff like this. So they were planning to do it. I, I think the, the biggest issue that they had really was that they didn't time it all together because that's really where that backlash you know- came from.
3: Brian touched on that a little bit. Um, You know, they, this was part of the, this was part of the plan long before IBM, you know, they had been working on this for a long time. And essentially what he said was, it's very difficult to announce what we're going to offer as a replacement for a thing before we discontinue the thing and say like, this is no longer going to be, here's what is going to be going forward. And so um, they kind of, you know the, the way that he made it sound was that yeah. they. they Man, that had is to-
1: true. I agree. That is true. But at the same time, here's a, here's a suggestion: you make a blog post. Paragraph says you're going to get rid of it. Paragraph says you're going to what you're replacing it with, replacing and then that's right and then after, and therefore you're done. same huh, So a
2: two paragraph system. <laughs> you're saying? <laughs> yes. like. yeah, a Two paragraph <laughs> system.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's
3: that's, that's my idea. idea. In, in all seriousness. That's in all idea. seriousness, <laughs> though, I mean, I think it's important for us to remember. Right? I doubt. It's that simple. I think if it was. Simple, oh, it's, it's definitely it as not that
1: simple. I get that yeah, for a sure. billion dollar
3: company. I'm sure if the four if, if us four Yahoo's can figure it out. I'm sure there's somebody at Red Hat that said, hey, you know what? Maybe we should just announce all this stuff right at once. And I'm sure there was a, they had a reason uh for saying no.
1: Right, I'm tell um, i just I'm just, I'm just making a joke about it. It's It's definitely an yeah. issue that there's <laughs> there definitely going to be some legal r- uh, stuff they have to, you know, they have to cross the I's and dot the T's, of course. So, like, getting all sure. that stuff out there, uh, I get that. But it was just more of, like, the sense of, I, if they would have done this, it would have been more, more uh, beneficial for them. They wouldn't have as much backlash. They still would get backlash anyway because making a change... Anytime you change... Yeah, you get, anybody yeah. hates... Everybody hates change, right? So, not mm-hmm. everybody, but uh, the... Every Everybody. Everybody. everybody hates change yeah okay sure everybody sure <laughs> depending on the scenario I would also have to agree that you hate change but okay fair enough uh, but I think that it would be easier for those changes to be accepted with those things were already there but for me personally I think that this is fantastic I I've I've, I've always wanted to use rail but I've always been super cheap uh, so I typically <laughs> used uh, centos <laughs> and how having the option option to use genuine rail. And what's even more cool is thanks to uh, Neil in the, in the patron chat, he's told us that, there's other services that you get with this subscription. It's not just you get to use Rail. You get to use the yeah, live kernel patching. Kernel
0: patching. Mm-hmm. That was that's cool. You
1: also mm-hmm. get the Rail, the Red Hat uh, Insight system, which is why mm-hmm. that you have this licensing account, so that when you can go into the Insight system, it'll tell you if there's anything any issue with your system. You can quickly address it from this Insights portal and just quickly is like okay, make this change, and then boom, it's done. That's awesome, and I didn't know it existed because I never had the chance to run Rail. And now that I can, I am super excited. I don't know if I need sixteen even, but uh, I'll come up with something. Mm-hmm. You do need sixteen. It's, it's like
2: anything else. Once you once you get one server, you need sixteen. Probably Then thirty two, then forty five. <laughs> yep. <Yeah>. Yes.
3: <laughs> then one twenty eight, then two fifty six, and five twelve. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then five twelve. Divisible by eight. You know.
1: Sure. Sure. <laughs> So let's move on to something else that's, uh, that's happening related to distros, but this one is a, a kind of a negative topic, and that is that there are some distributions that are considering removing Chromium or at least removing certain features of Chromium inside of their repos because a Google dev has caused quite a stir within the Linux community when they mentioned that the APIs that allows Google Sync will no longer be supported outside of Google Chrome, which means Chromium, Chromium OS, or anything based on either of those. Kind of an We issue.
2: told you. So- <laughs> we told you this was going to happen. For all the years we've been doing this podcast, what have we been saying? You give control to one single engine, they're going to get everybody on board, then they're going to start stripping away features. We told you, if you've been listening, you knew this was coming. And this is just the beginning. I promise you this is just the beginning. Yeah. We're testing the waters here.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, you make a good point. I agree. That's we, we have said that before, and this is probably just the beginning because Google has done weird stuff related to Chromium on multiple occasions. Uh, they even tried to put binary blobs in there, violating their own license completely. So uh, oh, you, yeah. who knows what they'll that. try to do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're, they're, removing features is not uncommon for Google. So it, it makes sense that this is only the first stage of that process. But uh, this is something that is happening that... Uh, it, the community of open source packages and maintainers have all expressed their frustration with this move. Uh, but according to the post, the reason wasn't cost or in, of infrastructure or even a security thing. In the beginning, they kind of implied it was sort of a security thing because the way it was worded in the, the removal. But really, they came back and said, it's not. And they said that they just want to secure their APIs, essentially. And by that, they I mean, they just want Google Chrome to have control of the APIs and what's weird about it is that multiple distributions have talked about the fact that they were given permission to use these APIs. It's not like they were, you know, these APIs were just, they were taken and they didn't have permission uh, because they were talking about security originally. But it also meant that the they, they talked about the, the Google Chrome APIs are also public. So it is technically possible to take the Google Chrome APIs and put it into Chromium, but that will violate the terms of service and therefore... The distros won't do that because that is, you know, that will open them proprietary up. Proprietary software
2: is so much less complex, isn't it? Wait, Jeez. okay. Na- we're not. We're,
1: I never said. I'm sorry. That. I was going down
2: that road. No, you didn't. But it's just, it's amazing to me the complexity of this nonsense we have to deal with because yeah. of these licenses oh, yeah, 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 and things. Yeah, because open source is so here. complicated yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But this is, um, so this is interesting because we have resp- uh, responses from Arch, Fedora, Debian, Slackware, OpenSUSE, and all sorts of stuff has stated that they will remove the Chromium browsers or in Good. some way or change it if, if 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 necessary. So some of them are some of them are actually saying that they're just going to leave it as is, and if it breaks, it breaks. And the other ones are saying that they're just going to like Fedora, for example, has already removed the API functionality, so the next update will just uh, disable this weird broken thing that Google's doing anyway. Uh, and you then, can't
2: sync your your bookmarks. You can't sync the passwords. Right. You can't sync anything. Thanks yes. to Google's change here, that has no real reasoning behind it at all, other than now we have control of the entire browser market and the engine. And so, haha, we win. Buy. Right. To and quote you, a
3: you, very wise man who just five minutes ago said, "We told you this was coming." Like, what? Why? <laughs> why else? Uh, let me ask you something. Is Microsoft having problems getting access to that Google API in their Edge browser? Hmm.
2: I probably. don't know. They probably I, probably yeah. not. They probably wrote their own. Oh yeah. They probably had their own. They thing. were
3: able to work something out. Gee, that's funny. Microsoft, <laughs> because they have billions of dollars and have something to offer to Google in return, they get access to it. But when you're the free thing that wants to value privacy and the users that use the browser, that's the thing that gets. Well, I mean, yeah. to give
1: to give a little bit of stuff. I mean, yeah. I'm not defending. Yeah. Microsoft yeah. give me the other side. What Google doing? I'm not, I'm not defending. I'm not. There defending, he goes shh. on the other bridge. I'm not.
0: Shh, not right doing here. that.
1: Shush. I'm the what i going
0: over the bridge
1: is that some of these browsers I think Edge including have their own sync service and like Vivaldi and Brave also I think have their own sync service so they they're not really affected by this however it's more True. of the sense of like uh, Google is just not allowing anyone to do it so it's it's more it's kind of worse because they're not they're just locking it down to their own control their own proprietary browser and stuff like that so that part is annoying. So Ryan said Ryan. something that was really interesting that I wanted to cover. It's about the uh, bookmarks and the password sync. Most most importantly, the password sync. If you have Chromium and you're using the Google accounts because some people's work or schools require them to do so, then you have your stuff stored in this thing. And maybe you don't want to use Google Chrome because you don't want to use a proprietary browser. But if you don't get your stuff out of that service before it cancels it, you will lose access to to your passwords and to your bookmarks and stuff like that. So you will have to use Google Chrome. Now, you won't like lose access completely because you'll still have the Chrome option, technically speaking. But if you don't want to use a proprietary browser, then you need to do it very quickly. And since we're talking about making sure your passwords are secure and safe, have you heard of Bitwarden? Uh-huh. Just, yeah, just a thought. Mm-hmm. Hey, just let me ask thought. you something. Yes. Does
3: Bitwarden work on Chrome?
1: Uh, Yeah, it does. It does seem to do that. Yes. Does
3: it work on Firefox?
1: It does. Yes, it does. Uh-huh. It seems, mm-hmm.
3: So, if one was on Chrome and had all their pa- thousands of passwords that they'd entered using the promo code that we've given them in use and use Bitwarden for free and had all their passwords synced and secured, would that person be able to just switch to the, Firefox? They and could get just use whatever
1: browser, whatever browser they want to, even the command yeah. line. You could do whatever you want. Yep.
2: Oh, That's I could sense. use links to, to browse the web. I have nice. no idea. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know.
1: I'm not making that claim, but you can't use a terminal. So. <laughs>
2: So I think that to wrap this up, this is just the beginning. This is what we've been saying was going to happen. They're going to start stripping more and more features. And as Noah said perfectly, a corporation can recover from this very easily. A big company like Microsoft, even if they don't have some secret deal behind the scenes, which I would be shocked if they didn't, they they could write their own. It's no big deal. What it impacts is the open source devs, the people who've packaged this for Google for years on these open source projects have supported it have helped put bug reports in there have helped fix security issues all the work that they've done basically this is google giving them a we don't care so what bye yep that's Oh, it
1: is pretty much. And if you don't want a pro- uh, a browser that will take away your features just randomly because they feel like it, check out Firefox. That's a it's a interesting. If you have never heard of it, it there's a <laughs> really interesting video on my channel about the seven reasons why Firefox is my favorite browser. You can check that out. Link in this in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Now for some happy news, we're gonna get into gaming. Yay! So Always love this more-
2: part. Yes, this is always a happy thing. MMORPGs, massively multiplayer online RPGs, are the games that ruined gaming for me for more than a decade. They ruined it because I couldn't play any other game and get joy out of it. Once I was addicted to EverQuest, Dark Age of Camelot, and Ultimate Online. It's too good,
1: but it's too good. They they were so (laughs) good.
2: Like there was no other type of game where you had the community and the friendships and the you know just the feeling that you are this character that you're playing for the time that you were in the games. And that's why MMOs kind of took over the world for a little while. It's not the same anymore, but I still look for that nostalgia factor every once in a while to go in and play a good MMO, interact with some people in the community, go do a good dungeon raid, take down a big dragon named Michael. I don't know if they have that in this, but the game I'm talking about here is Project Gorgon. So this is an MMO. (laughs) It's early access game. It has native Linux support. So that's one of the issues with a lot of these MMOs like World of Warcraft and things. You can get them to run on Linux, but generally you got to do it through you know, Proton or something else to try to get the clients to work. This is native. The graphics are EverQuest-like, but that's not a bad thing in, in my mind because it kind of feels like that nostalgia thing. For me, anyways, you can play a free demo of the game, which is my favorite part. So you can go download it. You don't have to pay a penny if you don't want to and start playing and see if it's something you like. But kill monsters, lots of them, in order to keep the experience fun and interesting. They develop unique combat experiences, fighting feels fresh, dungeon puzzles, traps, terrifying bosses like Michael, and the combat skills (laughs) are entirely freeform.
1: I'm, okay, I'm a dragon. Now yeah. I'm a terrible boss. Uh, all well, right. I'm
2: hoping that they're listening so that they'll implement you as a boss because how awesome <laughs> it would be to fight <laughs> a well, Michael.
0: Michael awesome. can transform himself into a pig and Ryan a cow and Noah a spider. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The
2: game. <laughs> they the They could pay homage to us and then we help promote their game. Um, but the thing
1: about... How do the, I get a pig Mike, and Noah gets a spider? I want a cool thing. <laughs> I <laughs> don't know, <it's> just <laughs> random. <laughs> That's fair. They do show you you can you can do like its transformed thing in the game, and that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not much of an of an RPG gamer or MMO otherwise or anything, but I checked out the demo of the video for this game, and I will say it seems pretty interesting. This this no it's class fine. system they have, <laughs> and you can build any skill you want in any type of like category you want to in order to make your own completely custom class. That is that is kind of cool. Uh, but I do want to point out one thing that I noticed that was. Kind of amusing to me is that one of the skills that you can build of is kind of weird. It has a how can you how can dying be a skill? I
3: love <laughs> that they
2: did this. Yes, like, that I was leveled great.
1: up in dying because well, I'm not good at gaming. So
2: you know I died a couple times and it's like you're this level two in and dies.
3: this might be the first game in destination linux history that like i'm hey, like they I, can do, some... I can die that happens all the time I
2: <laughs> hey, So <laughs> i can build my skill everywhere <laughs> i'm level 100 at death
0: they took some uh, clues from dungeons and dragons <laughs> there you go yeah
2: so jill have you played this game yet
0: uh no i haven't i've been i've been wanting to okay well uh, when you join like we're going to build a guild That would be cool.
2: Yeah, and then we're going to talk to the developers and get a Michael Monster in there. Uh, It will be late all the time. I love it. It will be hard. Yeah, the (laughs) the boss fight starts,
1: and then it doesn't show up for five minutes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it throws stools at you. You have to
2: dodge the stool. Oh no! (laughs) I love it. So go check out Project Gorgon. It's
1: out there on Steam right now. Free demo. (laughs) And also something else you should check out is the software spotlight for this week. We got some download managers we wanted to talk about. And if you've never heard of a download manager, this is a this is going to be a treat for you because this will make it a lot easier to do a lot of different stuff. So we're going to talk about two different download managers. You get and XDM, which means Extreme Download Manager. And these are powerful tools that increase download speed. And the way they do this is in a variety of, of methods. So they have multiple connections that allow you to download from different servers. So you can have multiple servers and multiple connections from the same servers and combine those streams of, of data into one single file when it's complete so that makes it faster so instead of having to download one at a like one stream at a time or one connection at a time you can actually have multiples in case the server limits you in some ways or you have multiple servers making it easier for those servers to it's kind of like sort of a federated download in a way not exactly but you know mm-hmm. anyway It also allows you to place these downloads into a queue to download as many as possible. So this means you can add a bunch of things to download and not worry about your internet being saturated because it won't start downloading everything all at once like a browser would do. This way it would space it out so in case you need to preserve your connection speed for other things and that sort of stuff. And it also has ability to like pause and resume downloads and schedule downloads and that sort of stuff. Yeah, And you can integrate it into different browsers like Firefox, uh, Google Chrome, uh, Opera, Vivaldi, et cetera. These, these, both of these applications have multiple browser support and then there's also stuff that's specific to these individual applications that I want to talk about one you get has an an integration plugin with a project uh, a project called area 2 which is a really cool powerful command line tool that you can integrate into it's really interesting and also XDM has a built-in video converter which lets you convert your download videos to different formats so that you can download you can put them on on your phone and that sort of stuff very very cool we'll have links to both of those in the show notes so check those out
3: this week we're continuing our coverage of git now if you've been following along at this point you can initiate a repository clone a repository add and sign files make a commit connect to a remote repository push to the remote and even create and switch branches now we're going to talk about what you do if you make a mistake this is where revert comes in and if i'm honest with you this is really where git starts to show its power so your first step is to make sure to get the history so you know which commit to revert for you do this by using git space log tac tac online. Then you can type get space revert and add the number corresponding to the commit. Now, if you don't really, this might be a little hard to to visualize in your head, but I'll I'll tell you how we've used this functionality at Ulta speed and might bring it home a little bit. So our GitLab account is tied to our matrix instant. And so there is a dev channel and anytime anything is changed in any of our repositories, it posts a message into that room. And so if you're just sitting on, you get a notification, hey, this, this this thing changed. And of course it has that number of the commit. So when we have an issue with something, we say, hey, software broke, our developers will say, this is the commit number that broke this, or this is the commit we'd have to undo to fix that or this is the commit we used to fix this problem and so if there's an issue with that commit that's how we reference that change to the code nice. and that change is unique to that specific repository and that specific software change and that specific collection of code and so we can undo parts of code while leaving everything that happened before since or after intact uh, very, very useful tool. Now, if this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. You say, what is Git? How do I get started? Well, we've covered all of this. Go back and watch the backlog of Destination Linux. Each week we cover it and come back next week for the continuation of our exploration with Git.
2: All right. So a big thank you to each and every one of you by supporting us, by watching or listening to Destination Linux. Thank you to all these beautiful people across all of these various <laughs> platforms that have joined us here live today on Sunday. If you want more DL, become a patron. Like the people sitting in here, the super secret room behind the scenes the with us right studio. now that you can't see Yeah, yeah in our recording stadium.
1: <laughs> oh, stadium. I love it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, there the we recording go. recording stadium.
2: You get a bunch of perks, like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events and live recordings at Destination Linux every single Sunday. But you also get to hang out for the patron only after chat, which is not live. And they get to ask all kinds of questions like I mean, Michael. Why like, did you buy a live, stool? It's
3: not streamed, right?
2: Yeah, it's not streamed. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's live, plot. but not streamed. And We're also this here.
1: because <laughs> the stool is super exp- inexpensive and therefore a good deal. Don't answer
2: the questions It's <laughs> for patrons only to know.
1: Oh, my so bad. Come my out, bad.
2: Come on and hang out with the crew. Muted, Noah. Oh, oh. You're, you're muted, Noah. No, we can't hear you.
0: Oh, no, I broke the internet. He broke it. Noah, still oh, I'll do
2: I'll do Noah's part as Noah. <laughs> in addition, guys, every Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern, live.
1: No, no. <laughs> oh my god you didn't you didn't have enough red bull work on it,
3: it. <laughs> or McDonald's red before. <laughs> <laughs> am, am i uh, yeah like, you're
1: oh, back we can little hear little you
3: bit. now oh, i'm back oh good, can hear good. you now. Okay. i can do my part now in <laughs> addition every sunday at 1 p.m eastern we'll be live at dln the best part everyone is welcome every single linux loving human being on earth is invited to watch the recording of destination linux live each and every week we can't wait to see you there in the chat Love that man's fire.
1: (laughs) Right? (laughs) And you can go right now to dlnstore.com to pick up some swag, and you can have T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, uh, stickers. We actually got a bunch of other stuff coming too. So check it out. Go to dlnstore.com to get your own DLN swag, and all sorts of great stuff is there. And to get stuff Mm -hmm. like the Linux is Everywhere T-shirt, it's a shirt we designed to show that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. So go to dlnstore.com to check it out.
0: And we have so many amazing shows on the Destination Linux network. Yeah. So make sure to watch the pseudo show, the Ask Noah show with our very own Noah Chalaya. And this week in Linux with Michael Tonnell, the DOS Geek channel with Ryan. <laughs> Yay. and Extend. Hardware addicts you. and get your game on with our latest show gamesphere with Chris Ware. So go to dot and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source. Awesome sauce on the 10 mile snow piercer train.
2: Love it. <laughs> nice.
0: And everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Oh,
2: boy. <laughs> See I you next for week. Noah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks,
2: everyone. See you next week.
0: Bye-bye. <laughs> All
2: right, patrons, you can turn on your camera, turn on I the mic. I can't
3: nail the yeah and you can't nail the <laughs> I can't.
2: I can. <laughs> you're right. You're
3: right.